Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. Welcome to Smarty Pants, the podcast of the American Scholar magazine. I'm your host, Stephanie Bastak. Eugenia Cheng has spent her career as a mathematician fighting the good fight against math's bad reputation. Her first book, How to Bake Pie, that's pie with no e, combined one cup each of flour and sugar with a spoonful of math to demystify and make delicious a subject that's often faced with dread. Her new book goes beyond baking. In fact, it goes beyond the biggest number you can think of. It goes beyond infinity. And it covers infinite hotels, endless jam jars, and the very nature of numbers themselves, including the answer to why kids are so good at asking the most stupefying mathematical questions. Eugenia joins us from Chicago to talk about why she picked the biggest subject of all for her new book. Thanks for chatting with us about math, Eugenia. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. I thought we'd start a little bit by talking about why you started writing popular mathematics books. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about why you think the world of math should be opened up. I sympathize with people who don't enjoy math because I think unfortunately often people remember math classes from school as not the most interesting thing and possibly actually a form of torture. And since I've been teaching art students at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, I've been talking to them a lot about their past math experiences. And indeed, they remember math as drudgery, as a thing where they were wrong, where they had had to memorize things, where there were all these formulae, nothing made any sense. It was all just about boring right and wrong answers. And that is so different from my experience of math. I feel that math is sadly misunderstood and that many people dislike it for the wrong reasons. And so I want to show everyone why it's fascinating and fun and creative and exciting and also relevant to everyone who would like to be able to think better because it's not just about numbers and equations and getting the right answer and doing pointless word problems like you have 85 wild snakes and 17 of them escape but it's about how to use your brain really well and i think that surely 
everyone would like to be able to use their brain well. And math is, for me, a central part of how to do that. It's interesting because people think often that art and math are these diametrically opposed forces in the world. Have you encountered any interesting perspectives from art students or found different angles around mathematics in your job at SAIC? Definitely. I've really loved teaching art students. They are wonderfully self-reflective and very serious about thinking. And that's what math is about. And we were actually just talking about this yesterday. It was the last class of the semester, so we got a little bit philosophical. And I think that science and art are thought of as separate things with a constructed boundary in between them. But there isn't really a boundary there. It's just something that we've made up. And the boundaries between subjects are really things we've made up. And At the Art Institute, we're trying to erase them because everything is really related. And what I decided with my students yesterday is that science is about uncovering truths about the world in a particular framework. As long as you have a rigorous way of approaching it, there's a rigorous framework for how you're approaching knowledge. That's what science really means, knowledge. And I think that art is about looking at the world and interpreting it in some way. And of course, there's an overlap because science is a way of interpreting the world and art is a way of uncovering knowledge. So speaking of boundaries, something that typically doesn't have very many of them is infinity. That's right. (laughs) And it's the subject of your new book, which goes beyond infinity. Uh, It's an expedition to the outer limits of mathematics. So why infinity? Why go from basic math or an intro to math and then go to probably the scariest concept of all? (laughs) Well, it's interesting you should call it scary because small children... I think, don't necessarily find it scary. They find it exciting. And that's one of the big reasons that I thought Infinity is a great subject for a popular math book, because I meet children all the time who are fascinated by the concept of infinity and so excited to think about it and to feel their minds warping in all sorts of directions. And that is the essence of what mathematics is. And somehow between the ages of five and six... And 18 or 19, when students end up in college, that excitement, mystery and the delight in warping your brain around gets squashed into, oh, no, I got the wrong answer. Oh, no, I can't get full marks on this test. Whereas children are so excited by the unknown of that infinity and the weirdness of it. And the great thing is children can ask questions about infinity that are really difficult to answer. And so there's a huge scope for exploring those questions. The thing about infinity is it's easy to get the idea of it and it's easy to feel something about it, but really hard to understand it properly using logic. And that's why it's a great place to explore, to wander around the mathematical universe, and just to peer at the extraordinary mathematical creatures that lurk in this mathematical landscape. So kids ask a lot of questions that are hard to answer, like, are we there yet? (laughs) What are the questions about infinity that they ask that are so tough for mathematicians to puzzle out? 
Well, the basic one is: Is infinity a number? And one of the stories I tell early on in the book is when my nephew, who was four at the time, got into a furious argument with his best friend about whether infinity is a number or not. So I got called in to arbitrate. And the thing is that there isn't a right and wrong answer to this question. Math is not actually all about getting the right answer. It's more about posing interesting questions and then seeing. What worlds you can create that will make different answers possible? So, in some worlds, infinity is a number, and in some worlds, it's not a number. It really depends. Wait for it on what you mean by number. And so, even trying to answer that question gives us extra insight into something that we thought we understood already, which is numbers. One thing too that is fascinating is that infinity, in a lot of ways, you say. Acts just like a number larger than three, and that's pretty much your specialty. Three to infinity. Why is three just like infinity in some ways? <laughs> yeah, that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Because we know lots of numbers in between three and infinity. But what it means is that. I work in a field called higher dimensional category theory, and everyone always asks me, "Well, what does higher dimensional mean? Higher than what?" And one dimension we're quite used to, and two dimensions, and three dimensions, and that's the number of dimensions we have in the world. And after that, whether we're thinking about physical dimensions in the world or abstract dimensions in our brain. Four dimensions and up become so difficult and convoluted that four, five, six, and everything up to infinity becomes just as easy to understand as infinity, and that's why three kind of ends up being like infinity. And I give some other examples. It's like the fact that that. If you're counting things, what's the biggest number of things that you can just look at and see how many there are instantly? Well, after about three or four, it actually becomes a little difficult unless they're lined up in a neat grid. And I give the example of a friend of mine who was taking stock of how much homemade marmalade she had left from different years, and so she said something like she had one jar left from 2013. Three jars left from 2014, and lots from 2015. And so, for her, more than three just counted as lots. So there's a kind of boundary about how big a number our brains can handle in different situations. And in that particular situation, bigger than three was kind of like infinity. But the really weird thing about infinity too is that we can talk about things being infinitesimally small. What's the difference between thinking about infinity as like a very big number, but also as less than one, say? Well, the two things are intimately related. But the fascinating thing, at least for me and mathematicians, about infinitesimally small things is that it's a way you can actually fit infinitely many things into our world and our lives, because our lives are definitely finite. And the world is finite. The Earth is finite. It has a size, and so you might think, "Oh well, there aren't infinitely many things in the world." Then, so what's the point of thinking about infinity? But if you think about infinitesimally small things, then suddenly there are infinitely many things, and it's a bit of a mind boggle. But if you think about How you ever get from A to B? Like, how do I get to the fridge in the morning? And I get to the fridge every morning successfully. But an old paradox 
called Zeno's Paradox says, well, how do you get there? First, you have to cover half the distance, and then you have to cover half the remaining distance, and then you have to cover half the remaining distance, and then half the remaining distance, and so on and so on. And you'll keep covering half the remaining distance. So surely you'll never get there because there'll always be half the remaining distance left. And what that's saying is that somehow every time you go to the fridge, you cover an infinite number of distances. It's just that they're infinitesimally small. You have this interesting chapter in the book uh, that's tantalizingly titled When Infinity Nearly Caused Mathematics to Fall Apart. Oh, yeah. And maybe also your brain. <laughs> when did that happen and what's going on? That was when mathematicians were thinking really hard about the issue of infinitesimally small things and what numbers really are. And one of the fascinating human aspects of this story is it happened when a couple of great mathematicians were trying to figure out how to teach a basic math class to undergraduates. And one of the reasons I love teaching is because it does indeed force me to think much harder about concepts in order to explain them. Because in order to explain it to someone who doesn't understand it, you have to understand it really, really well. And they realized that actually nobody understood numbers properly. And this is a kind of awful, awful mind-blowing moment where you think, oh no, the ground has been swept out from underneath my feet. What are numbers? And they realized that the whole foundations of mathematics were very, very shaky. So just imagine that you're merrily standing at the top of a tall building looking at the view, and then someone runs in and goes, oh no, there's no foundations in this building. Then you probably get a bit nervous about whether the building's actually going to fall over or not. And so they had to sit down and actually figure out how to deal with infinitesimally small things. And those conundrums, the irrational numbers, the decimal numbers that somehow go on forever without repeating themselves. But if they go on forever without repeating themselves, how do we know what they are? That's the conundrum. Obviously, it took mathematicians a very long time to figure that out and to figure out what infinity is. But I thought maybe you could help us understand what it is in a couple minutes, maybe. <laughs> Can you walk us through a common problem that mathematicians use to conceptualize what this really weird, interesting concept is? Yeah. One way I like to think of it is how children count using their fingers, which we think of as a basic childish thing that we shouldn't do anymore. But it's actually very profound. Because if you try explaining to a child what the number 10 is, you'll probably start referencing the number of fingers that they have and say, this is 10. And then you look at one hand and you look at the fingers on that hand and you say, this is five. So in order to pin down what those numbers are, we think about fingers and hands and we pin it very closely to some objects that we're familiar with. And so mathematicians figured out that they could do that for infinity as well. But instead of fingers and hands, because we don't have an infinite number of fingers, they pinned it to numbers because we do have an infinite number of numbers. And so eventually they said, well, why don't we say that infinity is the number of numbers that there are? And then you go, oh, wait a minute, because there are different types of number. And so the first infinity is the number of whole numbers there are. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and so on, going on forever. Now, you can't write down what all those numbers are, but you can imagine a kind of 
big bag containing all of those numbers. And then you can say that's what infinity is. And the reason that we pin it down like that is because actually, if you include the irrational numbers, that's the decimal numbers that go on forever without repeating themselves, that bag of numbers will be actually definitely bigger. And that's one of the weirdest conundrums about infinity, that there are different sizes of infinity, and there are bigger and bigger and bigger ones. Yes, I think that's one of the wildest things about infinity. And the way you illustrate that conundrum in the book is through what's called the hotel problem. That is how you fit the guests of one infinite hotel into the rooms of another larger infinite hotel, which I'm sure comes up often. So can you walk us through the halls of this hotel to get us one step closer to grasping infinity? Yes, Hilbert's Hotel is a thought experiment that the great mathematician David Hilbert came up with to think about the concept of infinity. So the idea is that you imagine a hotel with an infinite number of rooms numbered one, two, three, four, and so on, up to infinity. Now, of course, that's not possible in the real world, but this is the mathematical world. So anything is possible as long as you can imagine it. And this is where it helps to have a really good imagination for doing mathematics. And I think that's one of the reasons that children like it, because they have a great imagination and they're not constrained by physical reality. Anyway, so your infinite hotel is full, which means that you also have to imagine an infinite number of people. And they're all in the rooms, one, two, three, four, and so on. And that's fine until a new guest arrives. And then you go, oh, no, where can I put the new guest? And then you go, aha, well, if I move the person in room one into room two, and I move the person in room two into room three, and the person in room three into room four, and the person in room four into room five, and so on forever, then everyone has a room that they can move into. And because the hotel is infinite, there's never a shortage of rooms. If it was a finite hotel, someone would kind of fall out at the end. But this is an infinite hotel. So miraculously, although it was full, we can just move everyone up a room and then room number one will be empty and we can put the new guest in. So this is an illustration of how you can deal with infinity plus one people and still put them in infinity. And in fact, if you had two infinite hotels or an infinite hotel with two floors. So that would be infinity people on the first floor and infinity people on the second floor. Supposing there was a fire and you had to evacuate them all into a hotel that just had one infinity of rooms, you could actually still do that because you could put all the people on the first floor into the odd numbered rooms and you could put all the people on the second floor into the even numbered rooms. And then amazingly, they would all fit in. So you can keep thinking about different infinite hotels and whether you could evacuate them into a one floor infinite hotel to see whether the hotels are really bigger. So that example is kind of saying that infinity plus infinity isn't really bigger than the first infinity. However, if you had a hotel that had irrational numbers as room numbers. So that's the decimal numbers that go on forever without repeating themselves and things like the square root of two and pi and e and all the other ones. Well, it would be a bit difficult to tell someone what room number you were in. But if there was a fire in that hotel and there was an attempt to evacuate everybody into the normal one floor hotel, 
it would be doomed to fail. Somebody would be doomed to be left out. And this was proved amazingly by the mathematician Cantor, who came up with this really sneaky argument that says, supposing somebody thinks that they have evacuated everyone into the hotel, you could definitely find somebody who could be left out. And that shows that the irrational number hotel is in that sense bigger. And so the infinity of those numbers is, in that sense, bigger than the infinity of the ordinary whole numbers. You can learn how to bake a pie or how to fill an infinite hotel in either of Eugenia Cheng's books. No prior knowledge of math or baking or hotels required. Next week, we are heading into slightly darker waters with journalist Francis Wade, who joins us to talk about the ongoing ethnic cleansing of the Rohingya in Myanmar and the making of a Muslim other. Till then, take care and stay sharp. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 